Good. So our passage today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 14 through 21. And so if you'd like to stand for the reading of God's word with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? or in love and a spirit of gentleness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches of your word, and I thank you for this beloved Apostle Paul and his transparency, his openness, his sharing from his heart with these young believers in Corinth, and how by doing so he has ministered to our hearts and our souls as well, that we might understand what is truly going on in this wonderful relationship we have with you and with one another in Christ. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we ask these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in this passage, Paul is writing to the church as a wise and loving spiritual father to his beloved children. We're going to be looking at the passage in a kind of a, a jumping around a little bit, going from one phrase to another. But we begin with this statement, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. <clears throat> now, there were things for the Corinthians to be ashamed of, but Paul's intent is not to put them to shame, but rather to warn them that if they continue in this carnal, fleshly way of thinking, uh, that it's going to do great damage long-term to the health uh, and the well-being of the local church there in Corinth. And so he's, he's warning them as his beloved children. And in doing so, Paul exhibits 10 things that a wise and loving spiritual father can do in order to be successful with his spiritual children. Now, I want to make it clear from the start here that if you are a father or a mother, if you are a grandfather or a grandmother, 
Uh, you can take some of the things that we're going to be looking at here and apply that in your own relationship with your children and your grandchildren. And so we kind of can deal with this at two levels, but Paul is dealing with it at the level of a spiritual child rather than an actual flesh and blood offspring. Okay? So they do apply, but we're going to be looking primarily at this relationship that Paul has with the church there in Corinth and then with Timothy, his spiritual son. Now, a wise spiritual father must do the following things, not necessarily in this order, but this is relatively the order they come up. He must beget spiritual children, okay? You gotta have children in order to be a spiritual father. And then he must love those children. He must admonish them. He must set a good example for them. He must teach and instruct them. Occasionally, he will have to deny them. He will need to challenge them. He will have to be patient with them. And he will have to discipline them. And finally, he will encourage them and ultimately re reproduce in them his own good example. So that's the list of 10 things that are exhibited in this short passage as Paul speaks to the church in Corinth as his beloved children. And Paul then is going to send them an amazing example of what can result from being a wise and loving spiritual father. And that is his faithful spiritual son, Timothy. Okay, so let's take a look at each of these points in this passage and apply them wherever and however they fit in your life. But we wanna make sure that we come away with the historical grammatical interpretation of this passage that we have in our minds what the Apostle Paul had in his mind when he wrote it. That's the true and accurate interpretation of scripture. And that's always our goal. So a loving spiritual father begets spiritual children through effective evangelism. Paul writes, I do not write this to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. The person who leads another to faith in Christ is a spiritual father or mother to that new convert. And that's a special relationship. And God intends for all of us to be spiritual fathers and mothers because he intends for all of us to go out and share the gospel with those that we meet in our everyday lives with the intent that they would come to faith in Christ. And then having come to Christ, we have a special relationship with them to lead them into a fully mature Christian life. And so that suggests that they're going to participate with us in our everyday activities, both in the natural realm, but also in the spiritual realm. And so there's a wonderful thing about having kids. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it makes you grow up. 
It, it forces you to be more intentional about things. Uh, whereas before you could kind of let things slip and slide, when you've got kids, you've got to have the meals on time. You've got to have bedtimes and rising in the morning in some kind of a uh, consistent way. You find yourself having to uh, pay more attention to how you use your time. Maybe things that you used to spend a lot of time on that was not that important, suddenly that just kind of falls away and you find yourself putting more attention into having time with your children and having conversation with them, uh, bringing good things into their lives. In other words, being a spiritual father or mother or just being a natural father or mother has a way of pushing you into being the kind of person you would hope that your children would become. So, I've often said that children are better children when adults are around, but as the other is also true, adults are better adults when children are around. We tend to speak in ways a little bit more um, self-consciously than when the kids are not around. So I'm a, I'm a real advocate for age integration. Uh, in church, as we are here today, and also out in other contexts. I'm not saying children have to be included in every context and every conversation, but we need to stop and ask ourselves, if this is not good for kids, is it really good for anyone? <laughs> and if this is not something I can enjoy with the children, maybe I shouldn't be enjoying it myself. It's just something to ponder. And so, Biblical evangelist, evangelism is begetting spiritual children in Christ Jesus through the gospel for the growth and the maturing of the family of God. We're, we're birthing children spiritually. And in that sense, an evangelist is like a spiritual midwife. You know, God is the one who actually produces this new life, but we have the responsibility of kind of bringing it into uh, into the family and then feeding and clothing and teaching and encouraging, disciplining, all the rest that comes. And so a loving spiritual father is going to especially love his own spiritual children. And this is okay. This is not an inappropriate discrimination. It is just a natural consequence of if you lead somebody to Christ, they will forever be a special part of your life. And you will hope to be a special part of their life. And that's why Paul says, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. And that's good. Lots of people encouraging you and teaching you. But you only have one person who actually introduced you to Christ, led you to Christ, birthed you in Christ, begot you in Christ. And so he says... You are my beloved children. Paul calls the church in Corinth his beloved children because he personally led them to Christ. And it is a natural thing to have a special amount of love for those that you have personally led to Christ. And my hope is that all of us will have this kind of relationship in our lives. That, that if you don't already have it, that you will have it in the very near future. And it's a normal thing for you to bring those with you to whatever and wherever you go in order to be encouraged and fed. Uh, 
My friend Mike Ferris used to use the term uh, dance with the one that brung you. You know, he's, he's from, I believe from, I don't know where he's actually from, but that's a southern term. E okay, eastern Washington. But the idea was that uh, if you lead somebody into uh, a, a relationship with the Lord, then you should now include them in whatever you do, wherever you go. You should take them with you to church. We apply this at the men's breakfast on Thursday mornings by saying to these men, these are men coming from three or four different churches in the, in the Silverton and, and Salem area, that uh, if you bring somebody to our Bible study uh, prayer group on Thursday morning, uh, and uh, they come to Christ, or they just become more excited about their walk with God, we would, hope, we would want you to bring them with you to church the following Sunday. That we're not trying to use the Bible study just to bring people into a gracious cross, but rather that if you brung them, then you should dance with them, okay? And they should dance with you, and you should take them with you to church. So whenever we do anything of an evangelistic nature, we want everyone to be encouraged to take that person with you to church on the following Sunday so that they can begin a routine of being discipled, of being fed from the Word of God, of learning to worship in spirit and truth, and being a part of a local body where they are not only going to find what they need, but also going to be occasionally needed, which is a very healthy thing. We all need to be needed. And so God arranges for us to all have some needs once in a while so that the rest of the body can spring into action. Isn't that cool? Now a loving spiritual father is also going to warn his spiritual children uh, against their misbehaving. And so we see that in 1 Corinthians 4 and verses 14. He says, I warn you. This word warn has the connotation that's translated in other passages as exhort you or admonish you. And it, is, it means literally a strong word given with great love. Okay, It's speaking the truth in love. That's another way of saying it. That a, a loving, wise father is not going to ignore misbehavior. He's going to speak to it and may speak to it in strong terms but always in obviously loving terms. And so Paul writes, as my beloved children, I warn you. See how that goes together. We don't want to separate the two. We want to be ready and willing to speak the truth in love to those that we are responsible for as a spiritual father or mother. Now a loving spiritual father is also going to set a good example for his spiritual children. And we see there in verse 16 of this passage in chapter 4, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Paul puts himself forward, not just to the church in Corinth, but also to us, to the entire church that's in in, coming in the future, that he has been designated in a special way in the scriptures to call everyone to look at his example and to follow Christ as he follows Christ. He repeats this again in chapter 11 in verse 1. Imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. 
And the idea of imitation is, is to pick up on all of the, the little things that are your way of being. To actually become more and more like this person that you're imitating. And you know the key to imitating somebody is to admire them. Admiration is a low intensity, kind of a low voltage form of worship. Now, we become like what we worship, okay? When you worship the Lord as you should, you are transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord in that act of worship. Now, we're not actually worshiping others. We're not worshiping Paul, but we are admiring him in such a way that even subconsciously we begin to act like him, to talk like him. I remember in Bible college, we had a particular professor who uh, was a, uh, a very popular professor, very powerful in the word, very devoted man, and he had a beard. And it was funny to watch how all these young men in the Bible college suddenly started sprouting beards. And you know, I don't think if you asked them, they would say, oh yeah, I'm doing it because of, he has a beard. It just suddenly looked cool to have a beard because somebody that they admired had a beard. Now, I already had a mustache at that time, so I didn't go for the beard. But uh, the point is, you will become like those you admire. And Paul is asking us to imitate him. And the shortest path to imitation is to build up your sense of what is it about this person that you admire? And that's a legitimate question. We don't want to imitate them in their faults, but we want to imitate them in all of the things that are, are pleasing to God. So Paul realizes that God has set him into this special role as the apostle to the Gentiles as to what it looks like to be an obedient Christian. Now a loving spiritual father is also going to teach his spiritual children the truth of God's word. He's not just going to present the gospel and then walk away. Because being born again is the beginning of the Christian life. It's not the end of the Christian life. Just as physical birth is the beginning of a, of a long life story, hopefully. It's not the end of it all. It's the beginning of it all. And so that requires instruction. And so he writes, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you only have one Father, and I've begotten you through the Gospel. And he continues that Timothy is going to now remind you of my ways in Christ. That's my behavior. And as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul is a teacher. He's a preacher when it comes to leading people to Christ. But he's a teacher when it comes to building up the believers in their faith and establishing them on a sound foundation. Paul taught the same thing in every church. Now, the early churches were not getting the benefit of being able to compare Ephesians to Colossians. I mean, it, that took time for these letters to be gathered together to become the canon of the New Testament scriptures that we have today. And so for us, it may seem very redundant well, you just said that to the Ephesians, Paul. Why are you saying it again here? Because this is a different church. 
and they need to hear the same thing, and I teach the same thing in every church. And so if you're reading the letters to the various churches from the Apostle Paul, you can expect to hear the same thing over and over again, sometimes with slight alterations, slight in, in improvements, you could say, more elaboration. He'll say one thing in a very short sentence in one epistle, and then he'll have a whole paragraph about that same thing in another epistle. And that's why it's important to read your Bible and to let Scripture compare to Scripture and illuminate Scripture so that you walk away with a, a clear understanding of what the Apostle Paul had in his mind when he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the words that we have now in our Bibles. A loving spiritual father does not give his children everything they want whenever they want it. Now, I don't mean to, you know, quit preaching and go to provoking here, but we have a tendency as a culture to indulge our children in ways that are not good for the children. Now, you kids, I want you to look up here and listen to me for a minute. If your parents really love you, they will occasionally say no, and they will mean it, and they will follow through, and you will not get what you want, at least not at the time you want it. If your parents don't love you, then they'll give you everything you want, whenever you want it, and raise you up to be a spoiled brat. Now, how many of you want to be a spoiled brat? Anybody? Good. I'm glad nobody's hand went up. <laughs> if you're a loving parent, you're going to say no occasionally because you have to. And so we see now some are puffed up in verse 18 of this passage. Puffed up is, Paul uses this term, you know, like you're all, you know, raising your feathers like a, like a rooster, you know, puffed up. You're angry. I want it. I want it now. Paul says, some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, that, that I'm not, that I don't love you, that I don't care enough to come to you. He says, but I, I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. Not everything is in Paul's control. You know, sometimes he's writing from prison and he doesn't know when he's going to get out. He says, no, so don't, don't get all uppity here. I love you. I'll come when I can. But right now the answer is no. No. And we have to sometimes as parents stick to it because our kids will test us on it. They'll, they'll, if your children, let me just give you a little grandfatherly advice here for you young families. Your kids are always going to be poking and testing to find out where the boundaries are. And even though they accepted no the day before, they will want to test and see whether it still stands today. And you have got to be smarter than the ball, okay? You've, have you ever watched basketball players? A good basketball player does not chase the ball. Have you ever noticed that? A good basketball player knows where the ball's going to be. They know how it bounces, how it ricochets off the board. They know how the ball moves, 
and they simply go there to where the ball's going to be in a few moments, and the ball comes to them. And it's the same with your children. You've got to be smarter than the ball. Yes, they're crying. Maybe they're angry. And you just want to intervene and give them whatever they want and hold them and hug them and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I almost made the mistake of being a good parent. You want to just wait for them to cry it out and realize they're not going to get what they want, but they still need you, they still love you, and they come to you and you hold them and you hug them and you say, I love you and I know it's hard, but I'm doing this because I love you, and no, just because I'm hugging you doesn't mean I've changed my mind. <laughs> and so Paul says, uh, I'm, I'm not coming, not now. Sometimes it's necessary to say no when we have good reason to do so. And it also helps others realize that their wants and their desires are not necessarily our marching orders. That we are in charge, and they are not in charge. And even though their desires are strong and they may feel like they have good reason for them, uh, we as the parents who are responsible for their well-being have to say no. Now, a loving spiritual father requires his spiritual children to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And that's what Paul addresses in this passage when he says, I'm coming, Lord willing, I'm coming to visit. He says, and, and I will know, and the word here is I'll find out. <laughs> I'll learn. Not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now we need to be careful not to make the mistake of thinking this is going to be some kind of a, a wizard's uh, battle, you know, where, oh, show me your power. No, it's not that kind of power. It's the ability to bear good fruit. It's the ability to walk in the Spirit. Now, yes, there may be, if you're an apostle, there may be apostolic signs and wonders. But for our particular circumstances, the issue is not your ability to cast some kind of Christian spell, but rather your ability to keep from sinning in the face of opposition. Your ability to speak the truth in love and to stand firm and not to back off. In a sense, to not blink in the face of a confrontation. To have the kind of assurance of who you are in Christ and what God is doing to be able to stand in the face of somebody who's disagreeing and wait for them to realize they don't have this same confidence in the spirit to do something that is wrong. Paul had to be able to use his apostolic authority in these ways. You know, knowing is not the same thing as doing. A lot of people have knowledge that they do not walk in. The insight, you know, you're reading your Bible and you come to a passage and suddenly you just get this brilliant insight into what it means. But the insight is not the action. 
If you're going to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only, or just a, a scholar only, there, the seminaries and the colleges and the universities are filled with academics who can tell you with great detail what the Bible says about various issues. They can go into the Greek and go into the Hebrew, but are they doers of the word? No, they're academics. The sad thing, the sad commentary on our day is when you go to seminary in so many cases across the country, you go into a seminary and you do not come away knowing what to do, you come away knowing what all the options are, but not what to do. And you become comfortable in this state of tentativeness as though that was some virtue. We need men and women to know the Word of God in such a way as to stand in the truth and to walk that truth out consistently and to not lose their zeal for the Lord because they're aware that there are so many different opinions out there, so many disagreements out there. I, I want I will give you my advice on how to choose the college or seminary for your children that is going to do them good. Would you like to hear that? Don't choose the college that has the best reputation right now. Choose the college or seminary that has somebody teaching there who you admire in such a way that you would want your kids to come away with a good case of what he's got. Because you see, seminaries become famous for who used to teach there. And they're not there anymore. And yet they collect all of these students coming to that seminary because that's where J.I. Packer used to teach. And your kids end up losing their faith at Regent College rather than becoming stronger in their faith. So you choose the college or the university or the seminary because of who teaches there now before they're famous. I chose to send my sons Alex and Brett to, uh, I didn't make the decision for them, but I, I tried to influence their decision and it, and it worked, to send them to uh, Patrick Henry College. And that was because uh, a man named Michael Ferris was not only just there as a president, but he was also an active teacher there. And I knew that if they got there, they would catch a good case of what Michael Ferris has, which is a zeal for the truth, uh, a love for God, a love for God's people, a love for families, a man who starts things, who founds things, who doesn't stand around and wish somebody would do something about something. He does it. And I thought, if, I, if my twin sons can catch a good case of that, I would be very happy. That's more important than, than a diploma. I want my kids to not just have a diploma, I want them to have a degree. I mean, I want them to have a temperature, okay? I want them to be excited about serving the Lord. And so a spiritual father is going to be concerned that his children are not just learning the word, but they're doing the word. They're walking in it. They're not just talking it. They're walking it out as a way of life. 
So thy kingdom come, what does that mean? Well, Jesus clarifies it in the next phrase. Thy will be done on earth. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that that means that you can say, Lord, your kingdom come on this little piece of earth as it is in heaven. Me. Lord, may I be a place in earth, on earth, where the will of God is being done as it is in heaven. And I've got news for you. The angels in heaven are not griping and complaining about having to do the dishes. They are rejoicing to be there and to be in the presence of God and to do whatever they can to make heaven an even more heavenly place. Imagine what it will be like when on earth everyone is zealous and excited and enthusiastic about doing the will of God. It can start in your own heart. And in fact, that's where it has to start. And then it spreads out from there <clears throat> as you lead your own household and your home becomes an embassy <clears throat> of heaven, an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth where God's will is being done. And it spreads out from there into your community, into your immediate neighborhood and all the different ways in which you can be salt and light in that particular place. And so we don't want to just be the people who listen to sermons every week and then go home and live like the world around us, but rather those who take that word and begin to implement it in their lives in such a way that the world would notice. I want to ask you a question. If we were ever taken over by a communist, socialist, atheistic government, if we lost our freedom, and everybody's being rounded up who's been accused of being a Christian. And you're taken to court. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be neighbors and friends who could take the witness stand and say, yes, I, I, I'll tell you what I saw. This person's guilty as charged. They are a believer in Jesus. And it was just all over the place. I can show you thing after thing where they stood up for their faith and spoke of Jesus and talked to others about the gospel. Throw them away, lock up the door, throw away the key. This one's guilty. <laughs> Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of actually being a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you, if you fear that there's not enough evidence, I would encourage you, you know, be liberated from your fear of man and begin living openly and unashamedly for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A loving spiritual father gives his spiritual children a chance to judge themselves. Now, we see this in the phrase, he says, shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He says, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul is saying, I'm not coming yet, but I will come eventually. And between now and then, I want you to decide, what do you want? 
do you want me to come in my authority as an apostle and, and begin uh, using the rod? Now, the rod here, this is something I think that helps us as parents as well. You, you often hear that, uh, you know, parents, Christian parents say, okay, we believe in spanking our children. And because the Bible says, uh, spare the rods, spoil the child, we think we need to go out and get a piece of uh, rebar or something, you know, and spank our kids with rebar. No, that is not what it means. What it means is you have authority. Jesus rules the nations with a rod of iron. He's not whacking away at everybody with his scepter. He's just holding it up. He rules with its rod of iron. It's a strong, stable authority. And in that authority, he can administer justice. And in the same way as parents, we have the rod of authority over our children. It does not always intend a spanking, but it does intend the proper expression of our authority in their lives. And we'll get to that in a moment, but I just wanted to point that out. He says, do I come to you with a rod? Is, you do, think Peter, do you think Paul's going to show up and start hitting people? No. He's going to show up with the authority of an apostle and begin to uh, face off with those who are puffed up and, and, and uh, opposing him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the word world. So if you have a known sin in your life and God has not lowered the boom on you, you know, he has not parted the clouds and come down and confronted you, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about your sin. He's giving you time to repent. He's given you time to judge yourself so that you don't have to be judged. But if you refuse, if you're obstinate and you refuse to repent, then God is able and willing to intervene in judgment. But it is a judgment that chastises you, uh, not a judgment that condemns you. It's the judgment of a loving father who's going to use his authority and his control of the circumstances to be able to bring you to a place of repentance and restoration. That's what a loving, wise father does. He gives you time to judge yourself so that you don't have to be judged. But when you do need to be judged, he's able and willing to do so. A loving spiritual father disciplines his children whenever they need it. We see this in, shall I come to you with a rod? Paul knows how to show up in that way. Proverbs 13, 24, the passage I've just quoted, he who spares his rods hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Don't wait, administer the discipline in the immediate situation. The younger the child, the more immediate the punishment has to be in order for them to make the connection between what they did and what 
You know, it's not much different than training a dog at that level. You know, if you, if you want to train your dog to, to be, you don't beat the dog, right? But you do train the dog and you want the dog to make the connection between what's happening and what he just did. So he begins to see, oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, when you pull on this leash and so on. There are different ways in which to train up a child in the way he should go. And part of that has to do with using your authority in that child's life. And sometimes physical discipline, corporal punishment is necessary. As Paul knows how to use his authority as an apostle to correct false doctrine and to expose carnal mindedness as he's been doing for the first four chapters here in this epistle. You know, I, well, I grabbed a, a slide from uh, a seminar that I've taught on child training uh, regarding child training God's way. And, and this is a, a, a little acronym that I use. It's called DICE, D-I-C-E. And, it, and by the way, these dice are Monopoly dice. They're not, they're not uh, for shooting craps or something. Okay. Now, D. The D in dice stands for discipline defiance. Discipline is primarily for defiance. When a child you know, refuses to obey what he knows you're, he's supposed to do, that's where discipline comes in. But there's three other letters in the word dice. Let's take a look at those. Instruction is for ignorance. Sometimes a child doesn't know what you want him to do. You don't discipline him for not knowing. You discipline him for defiance against what he knows. So sometimes your response should be to instruct. The C stands for coaching, coach for competence. A lot of times a child knows what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't know how to do it. He can't do it up to the quality standard that, that you would require. And so you have to coach him. Now, how do you coach a child to do anything? Okay. Now, let's imagine you're doing t-ball, okay? which is, I think, kind of a silly thing. But it's, it's a deal thing. So here we got a, a child. He's got the bat in his hand. You know? And we say, now here's the ball sitting on the top of this big, uh, it's kind of like a golf tee, right? Sitting, that's why they call it t-ball, right? So he's going, no, I want you to hit the ball. And then you say, do it, and he's whack, he hits the tee, he goes over the ball, he's not knitting it, he says, let me show you. And so you're not just showing him, you're telling him, now watch how I'm holding the bat. Here, see how my grip, and now see, watch when I swing, you go slow, I swing and I hit the ball. Now you try it. And the child gets up there and, no, let me show you again here, okay? You need to watch me and listen. Coaching involves showing and telling, showing and telling, and then letting the child do what you want them to do, and then giving them the feedback they need so they know how to keep doing the right thing and stop doing the wrong thing, and whether it's hitting a t-ball or cleaning a toilet. Children need to learn by coaching so that they can then be given the responsibility of taking care of that as a part of the family team. There are a lot of things around the house that fall on mom's shoulders, and she should be building a team of little housekeepers, right, uh, that can take things off her shoulders and do it to the same level of excellence that she would do it if she were doing it. And that's only possible by instruction and coaching. Coaching produces competence. And then finally, we have the E in dice. Encourage brings excellence. By encouraging your child, they become uh, 
excited about doing the things that please you. A lot of parents never notice when their kids are doing something right. They only notice when they're doing something wrong. And this is especially a problem for dads. You know, we have a way of walking into the house and noticing what's not right rather than noticing what is right. I remember once when I was a child, uh, I probably was about 10 years old, and I was given the assignment of hoeing the garden. Now, we had a garden that was about, I'm not kidding, and I don't think I'm exaggerating because of my childishness, but the garden was about half the size of this gym. Okay? It was big. Corn, tomatoes, peas, onions, okra, all kinds of stuff, and I had been given the job of hoeing the weeds in the garden. And I went to work on it. I was so excited. I hoed and hoed and hoed and hoed and hoed. I had piles of weeds in every corner of the garden, and I was so excited about my dad coming home and seeing all the work I'd done. And he comes home, he gets out of the car, he looks over the garden, and he said, you missed a spot. He lost me that day. He lost me that day. I was trying to please him, and all he could see was that I missed a spot. So dads, I want you to practice noticing what's good, noticing what's right. Yes, you need to eventually notice what's missed, what's not right, but make sure that you don't lead with that. If at all possible, that you can notice what's good and encourage it. So the dice of proper child training is discipline defiance, instruct ignorance, coach for competence, and encourage excellence. And you might just find out your kids are a lot more excited about growing up and being like you than you realized. <clears throat> a loving spiritual father encourages his children whenever they need it. And they always need it. <laughs> they always need it. He says, I, shall I come in, a, in love and a spirit of gentleness? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 we read, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you notice a difference between the, the, the nursing mother's approach and the, and the father's approach? There's a lot more in this father's approach, isn't there? There's exhortation, there's comfort, uh, there's being charged, you know, challenged. That's what fathers do. Mothers are wired to nurture. And I'm not saying that a mother can't administer discipline. She can. But her, her temperament tends to cherish and, and nurse and, and, and just comfort her children. She's just really good at that. And so I think that we need to be a tag team. It's a little bit like good cop, bad cop, you know, in a way. Uh, the mom is over there being nurturing. Dad's over there going, buck up, buddy, you know. And, uh, and together, they raise the children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Notice, nurture and admonition of the Lord. And an admonition is a strong word spoken in love. Now, Paul knew how to express his love and gentleness toward his spiritual children in order to encourage them in their walk 
with God, and he did it very well. A loving spiritual father reproduces his own good example in his spiritual children. Now this is kind of a, a, a surprise moment that comes in this passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 we read, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now you think, okay, great, Paul, but you're not here. How do we imitate you if you're not here? And Paul's response to that, and this is a wonderful, wonderful way to end this message. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. I want you to imitate me. And so I'm sending Timothy. Do you see what that says? Timothy is Paul's beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways in Christ. Timothy is a, he's a chip off the old block. He's just like his spiritual dad. You can send Timothy to represent Paul. And by seeing Timothy, you can imitate Paul as Paul follows Christ. He will remind you of my ways. And he'll also remind you of what I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy is an example of what it can be like when you are a wise and loving spiritual father to those that God has entrusted to your care. And so Timothy is just like Paul. So who is this young man, Timothy? Where did he come from? How did he become the, the young man that he was, the spiritual son of the Apostle Paul? That will be my message next time. All right? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you for your goodness. We ask you for your wisdom. We ask you for your Holy Spirit in us to apply all these things in such a way that we might be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, may we be loving and godly and wise spiritual fathers and mothers in the lives of those that we by your grace are able to lead to Christ but may we also be wise and loving and godly parents and grandparents in the lives of the children that you have allowed us to be a part of their lives may we do them good and not harm and Lord may they grow up to be like us in all the best ways. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.